Well, again, good morning. Glad to be here with you all. In your bulletin, you've got a place to take notes. You have more blanks to fill in than any time before or after. In fact, the whole paper is blank. I was going to say, parents, adults, this is a spot for you to take notes, and kids, this is a spot for you to draw. But hey, kids, if you want to take notes, take notes. Parents, if you want to draw, draw. So feel free to, to use this paper as you want to help engage with what's going on. I will be handing out some drawing assignments a little later if you want to wait for those and hear, like, get some, some more direction with your drawings. We will be doing that. Kids, we are so glad to have you here with us this morning, just in the service and worshiping us, and we need your wisdom right now. So anyone in elementary school or under, can you tell me who these guys are? Phineas and Ferb, that is correct. Phineas and Ferb is a TV show, and it is hilarious. Let me give you uh, the premise of this TV show. It's wrapped up very well in their theme song. I'm not going to sing it. But it starts off saying, there's 104 days of summer vacation. Boy, those were the days, weren't they? Not anymore. We'll just go with it. There's 104 days of summer vacation. And school comes along just to end it. So the annual problem for our generation is finding a good way to spend it. And then the rest of the song goes on, and the basic premise of the show is these two brothers are trying to find great ways to spend their summer vacation. They don't want to squander the freedom from school, from responsibility that they have, and they want to use it to the best of their ability and come up with all sorts of wacky things for them to do. They build rocket ship to the moon. They build a roller coaster throughout the entire city. It's, it's great. But they're there and they're enjoying their freedom. And so I wanted to talk to you a little bit, uh, before we get into Moses this morning, which is where we're headed, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about freedom. And when we think of freedom, a lot of things may come to mind, like summer vacation. Maybe William Wallace comes to mind. You know, they will take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. And I'm horrible at a Scottish accent, so you can make fun of me all you want. That is just fine. Maybe a more serious topic comes up, and the, the whole topic of slavery in relation to freedom. Or maybe just the good old U.S. of A. You know, we're the, we're the land of the free. Happy 4th, by the way. I know it's not July 4th, but happy 4th. So here we are in America, the land of the free, or... So they say. I, I think in a lot of ways we're shifting and becoming the land of the entitled. How many of you have ever heard this phrase said to you, and maybe kind of said in like a snide way, it's a free country? Yeah, okay. Now, I want to hear from you guys. Uh, when does this phrase usually come up? It's a free country. When does that usually come up? When someone's doing something they're not supposed to be, okay? <laughs> when else? Yeah. All right. When you're rocking out or all through the house and your brother tackles you, it's a great time to use that phrase. It's a free country. <laughs> it's so beautiful. I love it. Yeah. When else? When you have bad manners. Okay. Yeah. It's a free country. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, one more. When you steal the remote from your dad. When you steal the remote from your dad. Oh. 
It's a free country. Yeah, uh, it usually comes up when uh, someone's not able to do what they want, right? Or is being hindered from doing what they want. Then they'll toss out, it's a free country. But it's usually misunderstood to mean, I can do what I want. It's a free country. I can do what I want. Uh, excuse me, sir, but, but I was sitting there. Hey, it's a free country. Or, I think you just cut in front of me in line. It's a free country. And, and sadly, I think it's become in America where, where freedom brings entitlement, when rather it should bring gratitude. We're so fixated on the so-called freedoms that we don't have that we aren't grateful for the freedoms that we do have. And I think we are really blessed as a nation. And the amount of freedoms that we do have are things to be grateful for. And, you know, just thinking back to um, where our country was 250 years ago, it wasn't a country, and we were under the tyranny of, of, of a king. And uh, people came and wanted freedom, uh, freedom from his tyranny and, and freedom to worship in the way that they wanted to. And so they came here, and we're really blessed to have that and so many other freedoms that we have in America. But um, what I really wanted to get into is, is what is freedom according to the Bible? What does the Bible have to say about freedom? Well, if you look throughout the Old Testament, you kind of watch this, this journey of, of the Hebrew people being free and then not free, and then free and then not free. And back and forth and back and forth it goes. As I said, we're talking about Moses this morning. And when you think of Moses, you might think of the ten plagues. You might think of Egypt. And in Egypt, uh, Israel was in slavery. Uh, And then Moses shows up and frees them. uh, And then they're out in the desert wandering around. And then they come to the new land, um, the promised land. But they have issues with with trusting God, and so they wind up uh, in slavery again uh, under this group, under that group. And then they pray, Lord, please forgive us, and then they're freed again. And then they come under um, oppression again, and then they're freed, and oppression, and they're freed, all throughout the book of Judges. Um, and then uh, they, they finally get some kings, and um, you know things are going well for them, and then uh, the, the country splits into two, and both sides are taken uh, into exile under Babylon and Assyria, um, so then, again, they're under oppression again. And then they're freed, and they're, they're able to come back to their home. Uh, and then uh, Rome shows up, and uh, they're under oppression again. Um, so slavery, freedom, slavery, freedom, all throughout the Old Testament. There's, there's this physical freedom. But uh, I think what the Bible speaks more to, and what a lot of Israel may have missed, because they were under this physical uh, slavery, this physical oppression, is true freedom. And the Bible really gets into true freedom. And we're going to be kind of flipping through the Bible a bunch today. Um, But uh, if you want to keep pace with me, that would be awesome. We're going to start in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And we're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about true freedom. True freedom. First of all, true freedom is through Christ. Luke chapter 4, we're starting in verse 16. 
And Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And I'm sure there were some that were sitting there listening to that and were excited. Great! Goodbye, Rome. We're finally going to get that freedom that we've always been waiting for. And maybe others were sitting there and they were just baffled and confused and not sure what exactly Jesus was talking about. In fact, we see this question uh, come up in John chapter 8. So flip on over to John chapter 8. Because here it says, Jesus is standing up and saying through uh, Isaiah that he's there to set people free. But free from what? Is it free from that physical oppression? No. John chapter 8, verse 31. We find out that true freedom is being free from sin. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus is saying, look, I have the inheritance. I have the right to be free. I have this freedom from sin. And I'm here to offer it to you. I'm here to give it to you. And if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Free from the burden, from the oppression of sin. In Romans 8.2 it says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. True freedom is through Christ. Only through Christ. True freedom is being free from sin. And true freedom is a new way of living. Flip over to Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read you a couple other passages as you're flipping there. But um, in Galatians chapter 5, it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So, hey, you have this freedom, but with this freedom comes a new way of living, a different way of doing things. 1 Peter 2, 15-16, it says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. You're free. Live in that way. Live 
in a way that's free. And then in Romans 6, verses 20 to 23, check this out. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. In other words, yeah, sure, you had some freedom, but what was it getting you? Nothing. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is a brand new way of living. True freedom. Freedom from that sin. Freedom from that burden. Freedom from that oppression. Freedom through Christ is a brand new way of living. Look, you were living this way before, and uh, you may have found some pleasure in this and in that, but what was it leading to? What was it getting you? Nothing. And uh, we're told here through Paul uh, that true freedom is found in following after Jesus, in living his way, in saying, you know what, I'm done with that old way of living, and I want to live in new life. See, this isn't an I-can-do-what-I-want kind of freedom. The kind of freedom that we talked about with this whole, oh, it's a free country, I can do what I want. No, that's not it at all. And it isn't the same way for this. It isn't, oh, I've got freedom in Christ. I can do what I want. Well, no. Rather, it's a freedom from bondage, the bondage of sin and submission to a trustworthy authority. I'm free from the one thing that was holding me down and free to live a new life in the way that my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ wants me to live. So that's what true freedom is, according to the Bible. And with all that on our minds, we're going to dive in and talk about Moses. Let me pray. Lord, thanks for your word. Thanks, uh, God, for giving it to us and allowing us to to read it, to dive into it, to uh, endeavor to understand it. God, please help us um, just this morning uh, draw us to you, uh, remove any distractions, God, that may keep us from hearing what you want us to hear this morning. God, renew our heart for you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Moses and freedom. Moses and freedom. Flip over to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. That's one of the two passages that we're going to land on today. Acts chapter 7. So, uh, we're in this series called The Step of Yes, and uh, we're talking about uh, God uh, initiating, Uh, we're looking at how God has initiated with different people of the Old Testament, asked them to do things, and then we looked at their response. See, God is the hero. God is the center of the stage, God is the center of attention, and we want to look at what he calls his people to do, and then how they respond. And then when they respond, kind of what happens next? And what can we learn about it for ourselves? So, today we're looking at Moses. And what did God ask of Moses? Um, But before we get to that, I just wanted to ask, what are are some things, uh, kids especially, what are some things you guys know about Moses? What did Moses do? Uh, What was he like? Anything like that? Yeah. 
Yeah, he, he parted the Red Sea so, the, so that they could get across. What else? What else did Moses do? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He saw the burning bush and God talked to him. Yeah. What else do we know about Moses? Yeah. He freed the Israelites. Right. Yeah. And there's so much more that we could, we could get into in talking about Moses. Uh, kids uh, and kids at heart, here's uh, your first drawing assignment, is to draw something that you know about Moses, uh, whether it's something that was just said or something else. Uh, draw something that you know about Moses. Um, so what did God ask of Moses? Um, absolutely right, Peyton, in that uh, God called Moses to lead Israel to freedom uh, at the burning bush. He, we, we know that God has said, Moses, look, i got a job for you to do. Um, I want you to go and lead Israel to freedom. I want you also to be a spokesman for Israel, Moses. And those are kind of the the two main things that that jumped to our mind when we think about what did God ask Moses to do? But but there was something else. And uh, as we look at Moses, we're not even going to get into the Old Testament this week. Uh, But rather, we're looking at two passages in the New Testament that that give us some insight into Moses and his relationship with God uh, in in a way that we just don't get out of the Old Testament. Um, So we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 7, um, where Stephen stands up um, and uh, basically walks through the whole Old Testament. Um, and then uh, we're also going to look at uh, Hebrews chapter 11 in the Hall of Faith and look at what that has to say about Moses as well. So let's start uh, looking at Acts chapter 7. And we'll start in verse 20. It says, At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house, and when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Must have been a great way to grow up in um, the palace. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. So, when we're talking about what God called Moses to do, what God asked of Moses, right here in this passage, I think we get uh, something else, that, that Moses was called to be free individually. Verse 23, it says, it came into his heart. You could look at that a a number of different ways, but I think that's that's saying that this was from the Lord. That the Lord was saying, Moses, it's time for you to go visit your brothers, the children of Israel. Now, we don't know for sure, one way or the other, how Moses actually found out that he was an Israelite. Now, maybe it was just obvious from race, you know, hey, I don't look like any of these people uh, in the palace, but I sure look like all those slaves over there. Maybe I belong to those slaves. Um, uh, Or maybe, you know, it was his mother, uh, well, not his mother, but uh, Pharaoh's daughter at some point sat down with Moses and and had a chat with him and let him know, hey, you know, you're not an Egyptian, um, but I've been watching over you, uh, and you're actually Hebrew. But, um, 
I like to, to, to dream a little bit and, and, and try to look at this a little bit uh, with my mind open. And um, it says here, it says, It came into his heart uh, to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. See, I, I look at that and I say, okay, I think that God is really kind of tapping him on the shoulder, saying, Moses, you don't belong here in the palace. Rather, y- you belong with those people over there. You belong with the Hebrews. I, I almost toyed with, with changing the title from, from Moses to be free to Moses to be a Hebrew because that's what God was calling him to. Was, was saying, Moses, it's, it's time for you to say goodbye to your Egyptian upbringing and, and to go and to be with your people. And for him, this was by no means easy. Well, let's take a look at how Moses responded to God's initiation. Uh, keep your finger or a piece of paper or something in uh, Acts chapter 7, because we are going to come back there and flip over to Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to hang out here. Hebrews chapter 11. The author of the the book of Hebrews gives us some more insight into Moses and what was going on at this time. He hits 40 and off he goes and hangs out with Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 24. By faith, Moses when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So God called Moses to go and to be with his people. And here we see that Moses said yes. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now from Moses we learn some things about freedom. About true freedom. From Moses we learn, first of all, that true freedom is costly. It cost Moses a lot to pursue what he believed to be true freedom. First of all, it was very painful for him. Uh, Verse 25, uh, we're told, he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God. He chose to be mistreated. And remember, Moses had been hanging out in the Egyptian palace for 40 years. He knew how the Hebrews were being treated. He knew it. He knew it wasn't glamorous. He knew it wasn't wonderful. He knew what the cost would be, and yet he still chose to go and be with the Hebrews. Um, And though it took him 40 years, he entered into that world of suffering with them. And we'll talk about that uh, a little bit more in just a minute. But uh, true freedom was, was, was painful for him. It was costly to to give that up and to go and and be abused along with the rest of the Hebrews. It was also alienating for him. Uh, He gave up his family from the last 40 years. He had been in the Egyptian palace for 40 years and guaranteed he built some great relationships there. 
And he gave that all up. Saying goodbye to family, friends, people that he had known his entire life. To go and be with a people he had probably rarely, if ever, interacted with. Take a look. uh, Keep that finger in Hebrews 11. Flip back to Acts 7. We get a little bit more insight into this alienation. Not only was he alienated by (coughs) his family, but rather, look, he runs and says, all right, I'm going to be with the Hebrews and uh, watch what happens. Acts 7, uh, starting in verse 24. Uh, Back to 23, again, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. So, in making this shift, in pursuing this true freedom, it it alienated him not only from his family that, that he had grown up with in the Egyptian palace, But it was also alienating as he went in this new direction and said, okay, I'm going to be with uh, this people here and tries to come and and, uh, and save them. And and as we saw, he, he thought he would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. They didn't understand it. The people he had come to be with and to lead didn't welcome him. Rather, they were antagonistic toward him. Any of you ever uh, try to join a club or went through the process to be a part of a club or a group or whatever it is, and, and you, you finally join and you go through all the, the paperwork and whatever is necessary, and you show up and you're not a part. Even though technically you're a part of the club, you're, you're treated as an outsider because there's this tight-knit group and they're just not letting anybody in. And they're antagonistic towards you and, you know, kind of treating you mean and, and, and doing everything they can to get you out. Even though, technically, you're, you're there to be a part of things. And I think that's how Moses was feeling, at least to some extent. And what's crazy is, even years later, they were still having issues with him. So, after being in Midian for 40 years... Uh, God says, okay, it's time to go back. It's time to free the people. Moses comes back. Again, more uh, anger towards him and just mistreatment by the Israelites. And he, he goes through the whole ten plagues and they finally free. And then they get out and they get to uh, the Red Sea. And uh, Egypt starts uh, pursuing them. And again, uh, more just anger from the Israelites. Just giving him a hard time again, like, what did you do, Moses? You just dragged us out into the desert to have us be killed. God shows up, miraculously stops the Egyptians, gets them through the Red Sea with this miracle, uh, kills the Egyptians, 
Um, and on they go, and they're in the desert, and they come to this mountain, and Moses goes up uh, to get this word from the Lord, these Ten Commandments, and we're told in Acts chapter 7, verse 39, here they are at Mount Sinai. Our fathers refused to obey Moses, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned toward Egypt. Again, after all that they had been through, after all that they had seen, God working through Moses, still antagonistic toward him, still shoving him aside. It was costly for Moses to, to, to give up Egypt and, and come and be a Hebrew. I mean, I'm sure many times as he's going through this, he's like, What did I do? What did I do? Man, I could be, you know, sitting in the palace right now, having food served to me, enjoying the pleasures of life. What did I do? I gave it all up for this? For people just yelling at me? For people bowing down to this golden calf? And I don't know. It was alienating for him. True freedom was costly. True freedom for Moses was difficult. He had to face a stubborn and intimidating Pharaoh, a difficult and antagonistic people, all while not knowing what was coming more than two steps down the road. See, as Moses uh, came back from Midian and was here and ready to, to free the people, he, he goes before Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, nope, I'm not letting them go. So God has this plague. And then Pharaoh, to to stop the plague, says, okay, okay, you guys can go. And Moses is like, great, that worked. So he shows up, and Pharaoh says, nope, sorry, changed my mind. You guys are staying put. And so a second time, it happens. Okay, Moses, go back, tell him, free my people. Pharaoh says, no. So God sends another plague, and uh, Pharaoh says again, okay, okay, I'm sorry. You guys can go. <laughs> then he changes his mind. Moses has got to be thinking, come on. This is it. This is it. Okay, fifth time. This is it. Nope. Seventh time. Come on. Ninth time. Nope. 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 After ten plagues, then they're finally free. And the whole time, Moses just doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know what's coming up next. When they get out to the Red Sea, he doesn't know, okay, we're stuck in here, and here comes Egypt. Now what? Moses doesn't have the answer. God gives it to him step by step. It must have been so difficult for him. And again, he must have just thought time after time, what did I do? Why did I give this up? True freedom is unattractive as well. Verse 25 of Hebrews 11, again it says, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Life in Pharaoh's court must have been glamorous. Kids and kids at heart, here's uh, another drawing assignment for you. Imagine what, what it must have been like to live in the Egyptian palace and draw a picture of that. What must have been like to live in the Egyptian palace? What must life have been like for Moses? Well, whatever is uh, running through your mind or starting to come to fruition on your page. Moses gave that up for sheep, for slavery, for the desert. Moses. But 
Though true freedom is costly, true freedom is worth it. Hebrews 11, verses 26 and 27 say this, Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses knew what he was after. Sure, he didn't know every step of the way, but he knew the ultimate end. He was focused on something greater. And right here, this is where it makes sense that God called Moses to be with his people instead of Moses just um, kind of looking at race. Sure, he might have been able to identify his heritage by race, but logically it made no sense for him to leave the palace. Yeah, I'm going to give up you know, all the plush comforts of life and I'm going to go hang out with those people over there and be beaten with them and be a slave with them. It made no sense. Yet he knew that was where he belonged because God had called him to that. Moses, that's where you belong. That's your people. Go be with them. And Moses said yes to God's call. And God followed through. See, true freedom for Moses was costly, but it was worth it because he had his eyes on a bigger prize. Now, Here's where we get to the good stuff. What this means for you and what this means for me. We know from the passages we looked at this morning that we can only attain true freedom, which is freedom from sin, through Christ. And that it is a new way of living. So, let's go back to what we learned from Moses and integrate that with what we know about true freedom. In Christ... We know, first of all, that true freedom is costly. True freedom is costly. And remember, when we're talking about true freedom, biblical freedom, we're talking about freedom from sin. And it had a huge cost. Because every sin required payment, a penalty. And the only way that we're able to experience true freedom from that sin is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He took and paid a punishment that none of us ever could. Each one of us has sinned. Each one of us has fallen by the wayside. And Christ came in and said, yeah, they have a punishment that they need to pay, but I'm going to take it for them. It cost Jesus his life. Isaiah 53.5 says that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. It cost Jesus his life, but he paid that price willingly. Philippians 2 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, 
God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. He paid that price willingly. True freedom is costly. Freedom from sin cost him his life. But he paid it willingly for you and for me. He humbled himself willingly for you and for me. And he was happy to do it. True freedom, yes, it cost Jesus his life. True freedom, yes, uh, he paid that price willingly. True freedom will cost us everything. And Jesus warned his followers of that many, many times. Luke 9, 57-62 says, As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, Jesus said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is warning people, there is a high price to pay when you choose to follow me. When you choose to pursue true freedom. Matthew 10, uh, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For many of you, true freedom has cost relationships with friends and with family. Jesus says later in Matthew 16, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? It's costly to pursue true freedom. You could lose friends, family, a job, a reputation, and more. But, though true freedom is costly, true freedom is worth it. So worth it. Let me reread for you Romans chapter 6, verses 20 to 23. I read it earlier. I'm going to read it again. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. What's the point? Yeah, sure, you're free. You don't have to follow God's law when you're a slave to sin. But what are you getting out of that? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God 
is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What do you get when you pursue true freedom? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You had a debt that you needed to pay, but God paid that debt freely for us so that we could experience true freedom. John 10, it says, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. See, following Jesus' way is so much better than trying to live life my own way. Maybe you've tried it for so long and, man, like, it just doesn't work out. Every time I try to do things my way, every time I don't listen to God, it just flies up in my face and fails. But see, Jesus offered something so much better said, I want to give you a new way of life. Yeah, sure, it's going to cost you, but the price to pay is so much worth the reward that I have for you. In John 14, Jesus says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He promises us eternity with him. That's what true freedom has to offer. That's why it's worth it to put up with the cost. I think Paul says it best in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 18. He says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Yeah, it's going to cost you to follow Jesus. It's going to be difficult to follow Jesus. It's going to be hard to pursue that true freedom. But it's preparing an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's so worth it. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Guys, some of you know this. You've known it for a long time. You've lived it for a long time. But maybe you need a reminder of this truth today. Maybe you've just been feeling distant from your Savior and need to be reminded that, yes, true freedom, my freedom in Christ, yeah, it's costly, but it's so worth it. Or maybe you know someone that needs to hear this truth from you this week. Will you give them that truth? Will you point them toward true freedom? But maybe there's others of you here that need this. Maybe you've heard it many times before, but just haven't accepted the freedom that you've been offered. Or maybe you've never heard this before, and this is just what you're looking for. Remember, true freedom in Christ is costly, but it's so worth it. So if you this morning want to confess your sins, put Jesus in charge, and experience true freedom today, I would ask you as we all bow our heads and close our eyes, that you would pray this prayer in the silence of your heart after me. Lord, I'm sorry. I know I've sinned and I know I deserve death. 
but I also know that you paid the price for me. I don't understand it. I don't deserve it. But I want to accept it. Please, Lord, forgive me from my sin. Please, Lord, come in and be Lord of my life. I want to put you in charge. I want to experience true freedom in a way I never have before. Understanding that it's costly, but it's so worth it. Thank you for coming and being with me. In Jesus' name, amen.